What's interesting to me is that in that invitation that took place of people like, like, like me encouraging folks within our team, just invite people. This might be a great opportunity for them to be exposed to the, the peacemaking aspects of the gospel. Like you got a lot of people invited people. I'm looking out right now and some of you, like you're, the people I'm talking about, these friends are actually back. That's amazing. That's not amazing because there's more people in the pew. It's not amazing because like, oh my gosh, I feel good about myself. Like I got my friend. Like it's amazing because God is still doing weird stuff. It got still inviting, enlightened, postmodern people to himself. And I think that as a community, as we begin to take seriously the vision that God has put on our hearts from the very beginning, as we begin to take seriously an understanding of church that we derive and understand from the scriptures, I think we are going to see so much more of this. I think this is just the beginning. And I am so excited. I, I don't like to like hype too much, but man, I'm so jacked up right now. I am, I am over my head, over my heart, and in just admiration for the work that God is doing. And so what I wanted to talk about today, for some might start to sound at the beginning a little bit like a refresher, and that's a good thing. Like I said, vision leaks. Who are we and where are we going? Some of this is going to sound really new. Like it's a totally new paradigm for you to think about what it means to be a church. And for hopefully all of us, there will be a renewed sense of what it means for us to go together. To be on mission together, to be the force of love, to be the outpost of love, to be the, the cell of heaven in this city. I know Adam prayed for me, but I got to pray again because I'm, again, I'm like about to like run out of the room and get all excited. And... Let me pray. <laughs> this is going to be, it's going to be a great sermon. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Have mercy on me, an over-caffeinated man. Have mercy on our church, Lord, a bunch of really sometimes strange, hypocritical Odd, eccentric, boring, you name it, we're it. Bunch of people. Thank you. He would use wretches like us. Thank you that uh, we are your children. Thank you that you've called us to yourself. Lord, thank you that you are not a mystery anymore, that in Jesus we can actually know the fullness of God, and they ran, it says in the text. It's not like we're wondering what you're like anymore. We thank you that you're the God who washes the feet of the broken, who serves, who dies for his love, for his bride. Lord, thank you that in all your awe, wonder, and fear-inducing power, Lord, you have revealed yourself as a baby in a manger that we might know that you are not distant, you are present. Thank you. I praise you. That everything we talk about in terms of the responsibility we have, like I pray that not one person starts to muster this from their own strength, start, doesn't get excited about this in a sense of like um, self-sufficiency or self-empowerment, but that it would uh, be, be because of an overflow of your grace, of your love, of your equipping, of your power. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me if you would to Deuteronomy verse 29, or chapter 29. There won't be too many, uh, too many slides up. Um, 
sadly today. So if you have your phone, there's going to be a couple of different texts we're going to hit at. Uh, we're going to kind of walk through really basically some of the uh, arc we see of God's people in the scriptures. By the way, if you're brand new with us, I mean, it's so, we're so excited to have you, as Adam said. Like, thank you for, uh, for, for, for being here. Uh, we hope, again, this place is safe uh, for you to just engage truth. Some of the stuff I'm saying, you might be like, yeah, right. Uh, and that's, yeah, right. That's okay. Uh, we're okay with that. There's a lot of people who are saying that. There's a lot of things I still wrestle with in understanding the scripture. Um, we just have this really profound uh, belief that there's something more than just our five senses. We can't just be biological accidents. There's something that calls in us, the poet and the romantic and in all of us. Go, there's, there must be something more. We're you know, on the journey of understanding that. And we believe that Jesus is the key to that. Deuteronomy chapter 29. This is uh, uh, some of the law written to these first people that were called to be a blessing to the whole world. God begins his rescue operation of all of creation with just one group of people. It's actually just one person, Abraham. And so he begins small. He does not come in in all his power and might. He comes in just with one. And then he starts with a people saying, you go out. This is how God begins the process of redeeming all things. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. I mention this text because the larger context here, again, is the Israelites journeying through the wilderness. God walking with them, then wanting to find, get to the promised land. And there's this long journey of waiting and wondering of what's going to happen. I mention this because there's a little detail, these two details that come out here just pop out to me. Your clothes did not wear out, nor did your sandals on your feet. It seems like an unnecessary detail. Moses is recounting to the people what happened on their journey out of slavery. This was like the big grace move. God has rescued them from Egypt. And then again says, do you trust me? And as he's doing that, he says, check your shoes. Take a look at them, the mundane and the everyday. Like God was with you there, your clothes, God cared about your personal things. In retelling their journey, God took care of their feet and their clothing. That makes it into the Bible. That makes it into the sacred text. The mundane and routine, the clothes on your back, the sandals on your feet, make it into sacred history. It's important for us to begin this whole journey that we're going to go on this morning. That the, the first people, the Jews, understood that holiness and meaning and beauty and the sacred was found in everyday things. In the everyday things. Exodus 19.5. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, this is like the marriage vow between God and his people, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is the command. Like I want them, these first people, to know this. For the Hebrew, for the Jew, everything is spiritual. Everything. Holiness and sacred meaning are everywhere. And in this text, we read that everyone would be priests. 
everyday routine deeds. He's not saying literally everyone in this tribe is going to now all of a sudden go into the Holy of Holies. He's not commissioning a bunch of people to get in full what would be like priestly garb if I had time just to unpack the significance of this moment. The priests were the ones who interacted with God and everybody else just kind of got the word. And, and there's something, a shift in thinking and understanding. There's a, a word that's given where actually all of you would be priests. Everyone and everyday routine deeds would somehow have serious significance. If you were to ask Jesus... Right, later on in the text, when we get to Jesus, if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, um, what would you, like, how can I help, like, you know, better my spiritual life? Jesus would look at you funny. Because there is no term for spiritual life in the scriptures. We use it a lot to talk about sort of our life with God, and I have it in my normal language, and I've tried so hard to get it out. I know what we mean usually when we say it, but what the problem is, is it immediately starts to set up, however subtle, a disconnect between watching the Pats play and being at church. It sets up a dichotomy between doing laundry and singing worship songs. It sets up a, a weird break between my quiet time and then going out to the pub with my fellas. For Jesus, there is no, for, for the entire Hebrew people, there is literally no word in the Hebrew language for spiritual. So then, let's fast forward. I know I'm doing massive overreach of the whole scriptures here. We get to Colossians, so we're, we're to the first church. How does this understanding of the world manifest itself to these first people who are responding to the person of Jesus? It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, what do we do? Whatever you do in, what, in every selfie. <laughs> I don't know if they can be redeemed, actually. I'm not quite sure. In every, in every action, like, I almost think, like, like, pull through your Instagram feed for a second, you know, the false life that you have, um, and start to, to, I love Instagram, I'm not hating on it. Um, you start just go through it, every image, every, every cup of coffee, every latte that looks the exact same as the last latte that you took a picture of, right? Yeah, every, every vignetted, I'm trying to name filters, but I'm just going to come off so nerdy. Like every image, like roll back the day in everything that you do in words. So everything you say and every action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Important uh, thing about this text. When we say the name of Lord Jesus Christ, I never really knew for the longest time what that kind of meant. Does it mean I need to like attach a Bible verse to it? Like, uh, like a life verse at the end of my emails? Like is this like a, I need to somehow insert WWJD? And just, I, I didn't know what to make of that. The name would be the character. The, the weight, the significance, the character, everything that makes up that name. All right, we've talked about this before, right? Maybe you have a last name that in your hometown was like rather infamous. We had in uh, Wakefield the Hazards. Like half the buildings are a hazard name. There's a like hazard school and buildings dedicated. Or a better one would be like Feinstein. Everyone know, how many people know who Feinstein is? Alan Sean. See you later, alligator. 
You know what I'm talking about? Worst commercial ever. Right, he's got his name everywhere. <laughs> I love this joke. I think I've said it like 800 times this year. But it's so funny. I don't understand how he can use the quotes that he does. Right? I love, I hope, Feinstein, are you here right now? No? Okay. I, I nothing, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about this man. Unbelievable. He, for those of you who don't know, he just gives a lot of money to a lot of things that need. But he puts um, his name on a lot of stuff. So whatever. No judgment here. When he puts his name on it, there's usually a quote. Everyone, everyone know what I'm talking about? You're driven probably by a building. And the quote is always like, loving people is the best way to f- love the world. Like, serving others is love. And then like, Alan Sean Feinstein. Like, he basically takes like, like the most surface parts of like Gandhi and Jesus and Buddha and then squishes them together into a phrase that probably everybody has said, like, serving others is beautiful. Alan Sean Feinstein. Like, dude, you can't do that. That's not, not only is it, I mean, it's true, I get, like, I don't want to argue with it, but, like, he's a copywriting, like, it's like, good job, bud. Like, it's like the equivalent of that. I said that. Don't, you can't say it, copyrighted. <laughs> he's asking for Roy, anyway. But there's a name Alan Sean finds there's a name attached to you. You see that name and you think philanthropy. You think somebody who has given so much. They've used and stewarded their wealth for a lot of amazing causes and helped a lot of people through that. That's part of what's attached to the name and awkward television commercials. When you do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, the character, the way in which Jesus lived the way he died, what it looks like to be about, this is what you're to do with every word or deed. It's kind of overwhelming. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. It's like the holy surrounds everything. Everything is spiritual. Every move you make. Every breath you take. So for some of us, Life is, is laundry. Can I get an amen from somebody? Some of you, life is diapers. Can I get a holler from the fathers and mothers? Yes. I think uh, when Harper was first born, I gave like a, a poop update on like where she was at. I think I described that. Do you guys want a poop update of where she's at? No, good. <laughs> For some of you, like, life is like cubicle land. For some of you, life is like three more years of school at a, like, back-breaking pace. Right? Some of you, like, have not slept in years. It's like you, all you see is a studio. Some of you, life is, is, is in a job that's just, eh. Some of you... Uh, your everyday actions are actually full of enjoyment and, and, and beauty and, and challenge and creativity. Many people I have found deal with the tension of what everyday life seems to be about and this seemingly grand call we have for those of you who are here and who are followers of Jesus. 
And the way we, many, deal with the tension is by extracting themselves from the everyday. Like, for those of you who feel convicted, it's sometimes the way in which, if I'm, if I'm so overwhelmed by what God might be doing in my life, the way that I remove myself is into a place of ministry. As if, like, I, you know, I'm going to leave my secular job and I'm going to go into ministry because then I'll really be doing something. I don't know how many people really struggle with that here. You look at what I do and you're like, never in my life. Maybe I'll go do missions work. Maybe I'll go get involved with a nonprofit that's actually serving people. We tend to go, okay, I'm going to disconnect myself from all whatever my everyday actions are, and then over there I can do the thing that's actually spiritual or important. So turn with me to kind of our main text where we're going to live for the remainder of our time, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we get a picture that we return to often. I joke, I like to at least give one to two messages around Ephesians 4 every year. Ephesians 4 verse 11, we learn about how the church, according to Paul, should be arranged. Kind of a pivotal text. What are we doing here? How should this work? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Let me stop. The apostles, people with vision, people who are like, let's go out and make something, like the mission forward. What does it mean for us to go forward? They're often the ones with the big, like 50,000-foot view of where the thing should go. Prophets are like truth-tellers. Right? They're not just like people who like see the future. They're usually the people who like have a deep dialed in connection with, with what God is saying to the community. And they're often the ones that really help encourage, spur on, or rebuke. Uh, the evangelists are the scary E-word. These are the people who get so fired up. They almost feel probably uncomfortable in a room full of Christians. Because they'd much rather like be out with people who don't know Jesus that they might have an opportunity to share the love of God with them. Pastors, right? Pastors tend to be the folks who are more, one way you could put it is like the shepherds. The shepherds are the ones who like can sit there for three hours and listen to you talk and not grow weary. And just keep listening. And then come around you and give you a big hug and then turn around and do it again. And then the teachers are the ones who often can take really complicated things and, and help explain them. They can help spur us on, uh, not in the same way the prophet does, but, but these are the people who can just kind of make sense of things really clearly, give the marching orders for where we're going. So God gives these gifts to his church. Why? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. A couple words here. Equip, cartismos, cartartismos. This is to train or to prepare. So to equip, to prepare, to train up. The next word is hagias. This word is the same word. Again, this gets translated as to equip his people. Um, the, we used to always say, if you have an older translation, you used to say saints. Some people get that language confused. Some translators said, let's just say people instead of saints. But these are like the saints. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus is in some way a saint. These are the people. Four, works of service. Diakonoi. 
which is ministry is really the word that it's used for. So people who do ministry would be what? Someone who does ministry is called a what? A minister. Cool. This text says that for those of you who are here and who are followers of Jesus, that you are a minister. Just let that soak in for a moment. If this is true, this is a training session for ministers. And the church should be a place that reorients people to be aware of God throughout the week. Should be helping engage people and help equip people to go out. So the evaluation of a church should not be like, how did I do? But how are we doing? The evaluation of a church is not how much did Jason slay on the last guitar solo. I see the man slays. It should be what? Like, oh, Andrew, you were moderately funny and you went a little long. No. I mean, that's fine. I need some good feedback on that. But it should be how we are doing. This is a place, an equipping hub for us to go out. And the qualifications for this is just to be a follower of Jesus. God would use the measly and broken among us. I I love the story of the woman at the well. This woman with all sorts of just brokenness in her sexuality comes to Jesus. Jesus goes, look, I know where you're at. Go in peace. He doesn't rebuke her. And then she goes, and what does she do? Leads her whole community to Jesus. They didn't go through like an apologetic seminar as far as I know. I didn't go through like a little bit of training. Like, here's how you understand and prove that Jesus really was the son of God. And here's how, like, I, I don't know how much was already known or not known. But what we do know is there's a sense of immediately upon understanding the grace of God and understanding who Jesus is. We are by nature a sent people. A sent people. So this to me raises all sorts of interesting questions that from the very beginning, Nothing I've said is like deviated from our vision from day one. But in reminding ourselves and walking back through that, how do we understand what it means to be called in our calling? In Ephesians 4.1, in this same section, it actually begins with this. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's talking to this first church and say, you've received a calling. How many of you have a clear sense that you have received a calling? Some of you. When we think about our calling, I have found, we were talking about this a little bit at team night on Wednesday, the calling tends to immediately go, and and as somebody who meets with people a lot around this issue, like what am I supposed to do with my life? It always goes first and foremost to my gifts. It goes to the things that I'm excited about, to my desires. And that is the most natural response. I totally get it. I have done that for most of my life. And I would expect nothing less from from most people in this world. I say all that. Uh, But as followers of Jesus, it doesn't mean desire is not important. It doesn't mean gifting is not important. If anything, God's given you those gifts. It means we start those somewhere else. We actually start. Paul's not talking about you've all received an individual calling. Like, 
In fact, the whole idea of like, I'm just going to do what I love, like probably wasn't on the plate for a lot of these, the poor early church. You've received a calling that is much more general and rises above all other callings. And that would be to be a disciple of Jesus. Somebody who is a co-worker, a partner with what God is doing in the world. What God is doing in the world, we're told, is renewing all things. That we're to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We look at what Jesus did and he encouraged his disciples to demonstrate and announce the good news to go out and be agents of the kingdom wherever they go with whatever they do. Our calling, if any of you here, and I'm, I'm only talking to folks who are Jesus followers here, so please, I wanna make that really clear. If you're here and you wanna have a discussion with me, about, hey, I don't know, like, what's my calling? Like, what, what should I do with my life? Please know, this might divert a whole lot of meetings I'm going to have next week. I already know your calling. I, I do. Like, I am crystal clear on what every single person in this room who's a follower of Jesus is supposed to be about, first and foremost. And that's not just like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm supposed to love people, I'm supposed to be a nice person, that's cool. No, 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 no. Like, literally above all else, your primary identity is that you are, it sounds so over the top, I know I'm like hearing myself say this, and I just feel weird, but an agent of the kingdom. Like, we get our marching orders from God. Like, before anything else, this all has to begin with worship. We can't start when we think about our individual callings with just selfish desire. If I find my calling, then I'll be happy. Whether it's my job or creativity or something. Like happiness and fulfillment are good things. Beautiful things that God desperately cares about. Your daily bread, right? He cares about it. But think about how the Lord's prayer is ordered. You begin with God, the source of all love and life. And then you move towards the mission of everyone else. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then your daily bread. It's not like third on the totem pole because God doesn't care about it as much. It's that there's a natural order to things. And when we get second things first, everything starts to unravel. And that's why as followers of Jesus, man, we could be in the worst possible job and be so full of life. That's why Christianity tends to thrive in areas where there's such poverty and destitution around physical things. Because that's not the point. It's important, it's beautiful that, that, that people are provided for and that there is physical, but it doesn't start there. First and foremost in all that we do, it begins with who we are in Jesus. It's more about where we are being deployed and reporting for duty and being sent than anything else. Being fulfilled is a byproduct of that. I don't think Jesus was lying when he said, it's better to give than to receive. I don't think it's random that you feel more satisfied when you give of yourself. Even if the most you give is like a really sweet Christmas present. Right? You know that feeling. Now take that and zoom that out and like whether I am making photocopies for the world's worst boss and that's my job, whether I feel trapped as a stay-at-home parent or whether I am like right in my sweet spot, baby, all my creativity is all like wrapped up in the money that I'm making. It's amazing. Like wherever you're at on that spectrum, as a follower of Jesus, we go, that's all cool, secondary. 
first and foremost, there is a fulfilled, amazing, wonder-filled, odd life of beauty and love that starts with simply going, God, where do you want me? It starts with the annoying coworker that you get to love and bless and be about. It starts with a sense of central calling, a centeredness on the gospel that begins to steer everything that we do. Here's an example of this, of how this all starts with worship. Um, The biblical view of marriage is that we believe that there's a creator who's given good gifts and a proper way to live. So our response is humility and gratitude. In fact, we can just pull it off of marriage like anything. We have a sense that there's a, a created order that there are good gifts that God's given us and there's a proper way to live. We're defined then by the image of God. We are defined first and foremost that we should be people of gratitude because God has shown us what it means to live. If you don't have that, you're sort of self-defined. Well, I don't get my like marching orders. I don't get my understanding of who I am and what my calling is. It all comes from me. I am self-defined. So my natural posture then is entitlement. My natural posture then becomes entitlement. Much, like much of Western culture ends up asking, what do we want and how do we feel? Right, follow me. Much of like culture I find asks, what do I want and how do I feel? The Jesus follower must ask, who are we and why are we here? Who are we and why are we here? Philip Yancey says this, And this is just sort of about eliminating the idea that there's any sort of um, master script. There's any kind of ultimate purpose that we're about. Besides the sort of arbitrary, like, let's make the world a better place for the next generation. I have problems with that. It's a separate sermon. Just listen to this. Eliminating the sacred changes the story of our lives. He's arguing that our culture has eliminated the sacred. In times of greater faith, people saw themselves as individual creations of a loving God who, regardless of how it may look at any given moment, has final control over a world destined for restoration. Pretty powerful. That's our understanding of the world. You following me? Give me a, yeah. Sick. Now, people with no faith find themselves lost and alone with no overarching story. They may not feel alone. But no overarching story, there's no meta-narrative to give promise to the future and then meaning to the present. So to regard nature as beautiful, humans as uniquely valuable, and morality as necessary, these, you would argue, are just constructs. We are told, invented to soften the harsh reality that humans play an infinitesimal role in a universe governed by chance. And there's this whole idea of beauty and meaning without an understanding of where this thing is going, of, 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 a, of a larger call. If we're all just biological accidents and that's cool, it creates a difficult situation where you are, if you're honest, this is where I love like the new atheists, like God delusion stuff. At least they're honest. Like you can't, like just you have to take it to its end, which means there's really no meaning. So you can contrive something that makes you feel like a way to connect with this deeper sense of, well, I should beauty and loving my neighbor, and that stuff's good, right? Anybody can believe that. Sure, but if it's all an accident, why would you bother? House of cards makes so much more sense, right? Social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. If I did not believe in Jesus, I would be a very messed up alpha male. 
Because it's normal. Because it actually makes sense to me. It's, it's philosophically consistent. So I say all of that. And we can get into all sorts of interesting discussion around that. And if I've lost you, I'll get you back right here. What's beautiful to me about an understanding of the world where there, are, uh, there is a God who has a call on each one of our lives is that it reorients every detail. It reorients every win and every loss towards a larger perspective. It's why everything needs to start with worship. We're told in the beginning of James, my life has been ransomed and purchased. I'm a bond servant. It's God's life now. This is where we start. We get hung up on specifics and we need to begin first and foremost with a recognition that we are to give ourselves as living sacrifices before God. We go, okay, God, what's next? That every day becomes a routine because we're not promised tomorrow. You may, some of you may not make it home. I'm not saying that's a joke, like literally, like statistically, that could totally happen. It's a slippery road, there's car accidents. Like I'm not speaking like death over anyone, but like let's be honest. If anybody should have a sober view of sin, brokenness, evil, sickness, death, it's Christians. We get it. It's real. God doesn't promise us anything like sick, like in that regard, physically. He just says like, hey, walk with me. Submit every moment. You're not promised tomorrow. I will take care of things. Begin to live in response to the calling that I have on your life before anything else. We need to re-understand our current calling in light of Jesus. Worship, we're told, this is part of our partnering, is worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. So, for by grace, it keeps going in Ephesians 4, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is saying we are God's artwork, his beauty, his bride. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The Hebrew word here would have been mitzvah, caring for the poor, the oppressed, the broken to reach out, to be agents of God's love and justice and redemption in everything we do. God's beauty and workmanship. This means that the, the kinds of like art that we are involved in, the kinds of like craft, right? Creating business that allows for, for people to be employed, right? There's the, the, the craftsmanship and, and the beautiful work that people do. Like all of this can be done in such a way as a part of a larger calling of what it means to give glory to God and to live the life of heaven now. We are called to be people again, again, and again. Go, what does heaven look like? That's what we're to be about. Our calling first and foremost is to live that out. So when Jesus says our great calling on every church that's ever existed as you go, make disciples of all nations. I love the as you go part. As you go down the road of life, gather to yourself, right, someone to apprentice. As you go down the road of life, make disciples, make more people. Connect with more people and encourage them and spur them on in the way of Jesus. To go forward and to go forth and to be agents of this Jesus wherever we go. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're thinking of going into full-time ministry, I would say it is too late. You're already there. I would say there is no such thing as a secular job. 
if you are a follower of Jesus. It's not actually possible for you to have a secular job. It's possible for you to live as if God's not present. It's possible to do your job in a way that devalues your ethics in a way that's not in line with the way of Jesus. It's possible to make things that are violent and ugly and distorted and not things that are beautiful and reflect the life of heaven and goodness. It's possible to avoid. It's possible to choose. God gives us that option. But it's not possible for you to think that God is somehow devoid from your everyday work. What does it look like for us as a church to live the way of Jesus every single day? Every single day. What it means to be a minister. And so, there's a few things I want to end with. One, um, this week in our home groups, we're going to ask just one question. Uh, it's okay if those of you who aren't in a home group, I just want to like, kind of let you guys know what's going on. Is everyone's going to show up, and we're just going to ask, um, because if we're priests, right? First Peter says we're, holy, we're priests, holy nation. Priests have a parish, right? For those of you who like, have maybe a Catholic background, like you understand that dichotomy. Spiritual responsibility over a given geographical area. Where's your parish? Who are the people? What are the things that God's called you to? If we're all ministers, if this is an equipping hub to go out and be the life-giving, celebratory, redemptive <laughs> voices of the kingdom, where's your parish? Where are the people that you're called to? And so in home groups this week, we're literally just gonna ask the question, how do we as a church help equip you to engage your parish? Uh, team night, Chris Corey told a story of uh, Heather, back, who's back there. Um, and just, he, he had never really asked, like, what is the work that Heather's doing? And, and he was describing the situation, like Heather was just sort of lighting up and describing like the stuff that she's about. And the way Chris just kind of took this in is like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. This is her heart for uh, at-risk children, for education, for all, all the things that, that she had gone off on. And, and, and he thought, man, this is he was about to get up and share on Wednesday night about our vision. He goes, how do we as a church help her? How do we as a home group, as a group of friends, help equip her to continue to grow in that? For some of you, the idea that you are like a priest with a parish scares, the, not just scares you, you're like, I don't even know if I believe any of this stuff. For some of you, our equipping looks like, you know, come and join like our, our alpha class. Like begin to learn the way of Jesus, like just really basics. Begin to open yourself up to who Jesus is and be aware of that. Uh, for some of you, we would love to be able to figure out a way to write you checks for like the entrepreneurial endeavor that you want to like set out on and care for. Like we really want at, at, in, our, in this church to be a hub that actually does what we say we wanna do. It's what the creative collective does. Uh, it's what we're hoping that thing becomes more and more of is a group of creatives who are helping spur one another on in their craft growing in their identity as Jesus followers, right? So understanding what it means to be an artist, painter, entrepreneur in light of who Jesus says they are. So what is all the different aspects of that? So we wanna go further with that. That's why we took our Advent offering and some of that got directed towards that. That's because we want to engage uh, Kara, who's just emerged as a leader in our community to help us as a church set so many creatives free and truly equip them. And not just to be on mission as individuals, but to be on mission together, right? To be on mission together. I heard recently uh, 
I, well, I guess this isn't like a definite thing, but there's a couple moving back to the area. Uh, he's a tattoo artist. I'm like, all right. Like, how do we tattoo for the kingdom of God? Right, what does that look like for him in the unique place that he has and the arena he has to be an equipping agent for the kingdom? And for those of you who are here, hearing all these things, who are not Christians, this isn't actually weird. Like, oh my gosh, this is like some weird marching order moment for Christians. I'm getting the heck out of here. This is really normal. The things that you care about and are passionate about, that you believe are true, how could you not export those? You might want nothing to do with Jesus, but you just have a passion and a heart for fill in the blank. How could you not join up with other people who are in agreement and in love, not in power, not in coercion, not in manipulation, but out of love, begin to woo and share and embody your ethic. This is a normal human response. All we're saying as followers of Jesus is we believe that God is making everything new. He's putting everything back together. And for whatever reason, he has invited us to join him in that. In every action, in every place of work, we get to do this. So I cheekily called this sermon like, you're our calling. Right, your calling, God's calling on us and our individual calling. First, before anything else, for us to look around at each other and to know, like it says in Ephesians, that there is a calling that we have all received. We've all received this calling. There's a central thing that we are to be about in the world. I wanna take a moment now before we, we close and come to the communion table, um, to invite um, everybody who has decided to partner with us at Sanctuary Church. These are not people who are like more like special than anybody else. We're all family here. But these are people who have said, I recognize that the, 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 uh, the pull of consumerism and individuality is so hard. And it's so, um, it will woo me and pull me off course. And if I'm somebody who says, I wanna love one another and carry one another's burdens and spur one another on in the way of Jesus, I actually wanna commit formally to the community and to each other. We'll have many more opportunities throughout the year to do this, but we kind of re-upped this year. And so I wanna invite all those, uh, if you were at team night and planned on being all in and covenanting with us and becoming partners, or for those of you who weren't able to make it but have said, yes, we are all in for another, can I just invite you to stand? Would you stand? I know it's a little awkward, but would you stand with us? Would you, everybody else who's in the pew, would you just, um, for those of you who are Christians who are here, will you, will you pray for these people? Lord, I thank you for these folks who have said, um, with all their flaws and all their creativity, all their joy, all their love, all their mistakes, all of it, all of who they are. They said, we wanna be bonded to each other in a, in, a, in a deeper way. We wanna commit to each other in doing life together. We wanna commit to helping lead this church. Because man, if Andrew's leading this church, we are in trouble. If Jason's the only one leading this church and doing ministry, we are in trouble. If Lauren's the only, if, if the Wignall's, I mean, we are, we are in some deep stuff. 
but we want to be a part of this. We want to be actually a community that journeys together and understanding how we as a church become the equipping hub that sends out agents of your kingdom, of your way, of your love, of your life, Lord, to everyone. So help us, help these people who've said, I'm all in. Help all those uh, who will come alongside us this year in this community as we continue to discover our gifts, discover the places of, of leadership and of calling that we are called into. Thank you, God, for this family. In your name we pray.